listening to Inherited Danger, book two of the Dawning of Power trilogy, a podcast novel written and read by Brian Rathbone. For more information, maps, and additional downloads, visit brianrathbone.com. Thank you for listening. Chapter 9 The World is But a Pyre of Timber, Waiting for the Tiniest Spark to Unleash an Inferno. Ian Geist, Sleepless One Deep in the night, Katrin woke to find herself curled up on a cushion. Nearby, Mother Gwendolyn snored softly. Katrin felt strange and scared in the silent darkness. Curling into a ball, she concentrated on positive thoughts and sought her center. As she drifted between sleep and wakefulness, she began to feel deep vibrations of power from within the stones of the temple. It was a comforting sort of energy, and it lulled her back to sleep. When she woke again, she was alone. A tray of fruits waited in a corner. Rubbing the sleep from her eyes, she plopped down next to the tray and helped herself to some apple slices and a few grapes. The sweet taste refreshed her and helped chase away her morning lethargy. Suddenly remembering that Benjen and the others had expected her back, and knowing they were probably worried about her, she scrambled to her feet and charged toward the door just as it opened inward. Good morning, Katrin. How are you feeling today? Mother Gwendolyn asked as she glided into the room. Much better, thank you. I'm sorry I was such a bother last night. I didn't mean to keep you from your bed. I must let Benjen know. Katrin began, and she would have continued if Mother Gwendolyn had not placed a finger on her lips. I sent word to Benjen last night, and you have nothing to worry about. Now that the snows have fallen and continue to fall, those within Omahold shall stay, and no more will arrive before the spring melt. For now... You may enjoy some respite, Mother Gwendolyn said with a smile. I've asked Benjen and the rest of your party to dine with us this evening, but there is something I must discuss with you before then. Would you like a little more time to greet the day? Now is fine, Katrin said, barely able to stifle a yawn, and Mother Gwendolyn shook her head in a good-natured way. It seems you have a great many questions but few of them are clear in your mind. Perhaps it would help if you were able to achieve a clearer state of consciousness. Mother Gwendolyn began, and Katrin gave her a perplexed look. A common belief among Cathurans is that every bit of food and drink you consume affects the functions of your body and mind. Every substance you ingest alters your mental and physical state in some way. The only exception is clean water the substance of life itself, which carries toxins from the body. I'm suggesting that you not only fast, but also undergo the purification ritual. What's that? The ritual consists of a series of traditional ceremonies that help rid the body of stress and toxins. The ritual is also required of anyone who wishes to enter the inner sanctuary, which is where you may find some of your answers though I make no promises. The ritual is not trivial. It lasts thirty days, during which time you will be unable to visit with anyone. 
Katrin's anxiety must have been easy to see. Do not fear. I've undergone the ritual many times, and I find it helpful when I am undecided about something. I don't want to pressure you. The choice is yours. Would you like to walk in the gardens? Let us take in some beauty while we contemplate. The thought of a relaxing walk appealed to Katrin, and the warm coat Mother Gwendolyn provided would make it more comfortable. All of the walkways had been completely cleared of the previous night's snowfall. The sun shone brightly, but brought little warmth along with its light, and Katrin was thankful for the coat. The gardens were breathtaking. Many plants still carried their fall shades of red and yellow, standing out in contrast to the pristine snow that partially covered them. Some of the colorful leaves were completely encased in sparkling ice. Droplets of water formed as the ice slowly melted, and rainbows danced across the gardens. A lone monk, his long gray hair flowing behind him, stood silently. He held what looked like two small bowls, one on top of the other. The top bowl appeared to be ringed with small holes that had flowers painted around them. Unsure what the man could possibly be doing, Katrin was shocked to see a rather large hummingbird land on the rim of the bowl, chirrup happily, and drink. Its extended visit gave her ample time to observe its markings. Deep purple, with a bluish belly and a bright red throat. When she commented on the exotic bird, Mother Gwendolyn seemed surprised that she didn't recognize the species. My father taught me to identify most of the birds that live on the godfist, including several types of hummingbird. But I've never seen one like that before, Katrin said. When the avian wonder sprang into the air, it zoomed backward, then buzzed past Katrin's ear, causing her to duck involuntarily. The monk lowered the dish and turned to his audience with a smile. I'm glad I got to see him before he made his winter journey. He'll need the energy from that sugar water to get to the godfist. It gladdens me to help the gorgeous creatures, he said in warm greeting. Katrin, this is Brother Vaughn. He tends to our aviary and has a love affair with anything that soars on the wind. Brother Vaughn, this is Katrin Volker. She'll be visiting with us for the winter. Splendid, Brother Vaughn responded. It'll be nice to have a new face around the halls. Katrin knew Brother Vaughn would appreciate knowing the hummingbird was most likely not flying to the godfist, but she was unsure how much information to reveal. Mother Gwendolyn looked at her briefly and skillfully used her body language and facial expression to communicate her opinion. Katrin got the distinct impression that Mother Gwendolyn trusted this man, but it was up to her to decide what she would reveal, and she decided to trust him as well. I've studied the birds of the godfist, and I have no recollection of ever seeing a hummingbird that large or with that coloring, she said, and his eyes lit up. You've seen the birds of the godfist for yourself? In their natural habitat? he asked, and Katrin nodded. What a treasure you've brought for me, mother. I hope you'll allow me some time with Katrin. I have so many questions she may be able to answer, he said his excitement clearly gaining momentum. He began talking softly to himself, 
listing the many things he would ask, and he excused himself so he could write down his list. I don't want to forget to ask something important, he said with a smile. Katrin decided it was good that she would have some time on her hands. Brother Vaughn could probably keep her busy answering questions for days. For this day, though, she decided to simply enjoy the peaceful surroundings and majestic views. She and Mother Gwendolyn spent the rest of the day touring the outer sanctuary, specifically avoiding discussions of any real consequence. Katrin enjoyed the amiable companionship, and she appreciated Mother Gwendolyn's not pushing her into any intense conversations. As the sun began to fall, they walked to a private dining room. A small fire chased away the chill and provided a rosy glow. Katrin sat near the hearth, warming her hands. She heard Benjen and the others as they approached, and they soon joined her around the rectangular table, where the long benches made for cozy seating. The monks serving their meal must have been watching for the honored guests to arrive because they entered almost immediately with bowls of steaming broth and vegetables. Katrin and the others laughed as they all blew on their soup and made slurping noises as they tried not to burn their lips or tongues. Other monks served platters of cheese and fruit, and they carried the empty bowls away. Mother Gwendolyn ate in relative silence, letting them exchange news. We visited Milo and Gustad at the forge, Strom said. They used the sand and ash to make perfectly clear glass. You should see it, Cat. Osborne beamed. It's fascinating. You should come see the forge and the lenses they are working on. Milo said he would teach me to work glass. Katrin smiled at their obvious enthusiasm. She looked down the table at Vertuk and asked him what he did with his day. I talked to Brunson, the man with mule. He is a good man. Just don't lose his animals he said. I will teach him to raise a horse in Argast way. He will ride without silly bridles by spring. Katrin mentally wished Brunson luck. She could not imagine riding without reins in her hands. It seemed all but Benjen and Chase had found ways to pass their days. She sensed grim determination from each of them, and though it pained her, it made her feel safe. They could spend the whole winter drinking and playing pickup, but she doubted they would. Considering all the ways she could spend the long winter, she asked herself if she were doing everything she could to prepare for what lay ahead. She was not. It was an unpleasant realization, but she accepted the truth of it. She needed knowledge, understanding, comprehension. Without those, she would wander in the dark. Mother Gwendolyn had implied that the inner sanctuary was the place to seek such clarity, but Katrin had an unexplainable fear of the purification ritual. It just seemed too bizarre. Katrin knew that others underwent the process, but thinking about it gave her a cold feeling in her stomach. In some ways, she was afraid of what she might find when she achieved clarity, but much of her anxiety was centered on the ritual itself. The thought of fasting did not appeal to her. She could not imagine dealing with the hunger pangs. She tended to get cranky when she was hungry, 
and she wasn't certain she would be able to control herself. Still, the possibility of learning something important was almost irresistible. Mother Gwendolyn sat in silence, and Katrin met her eyes briefly. No words were exchanged, but Katrin clearly understood that the decision was hers alone. Mother Gwendolyn says there is a purification ritual that I must perform in order to enter the inner sanctuary. But it takes thirty days, and I'm afraid. I don't want to be away from all of you for so long. What kind of ritual takes thirty days? Chase asked. Not sure I like the sound of that. I cannot tell you much, Mother Gwendolyn said, except that many have undergone the ritual before Katrin and none of them have come to harm. Still don't like it, Chase said. I'm certain Mother Gwendolyn would not invite Katrin to do something that was not in her best interest, Benjen said, but I'll not push Katrin into doing it either. You must make that choice for yourself, little miss. If you're not back in thirty days, Strom said, we'll come in after you. Thanks, Strom, Benjen. I appreciate your words. I heard what Chase said as well, but I cannot let fear stop me from doing what I must. I came here in search of knowledge and understanding, and I must pursue those above all else. I want to undergo the purification ritual so I can enter the inner sanctuary, she said before her commitment wavered, and a small smile played across Mother Gwendolyn's face. Benjen also seemed to agree with her decision. Strom and Osborne said they would miss her, but she had their full support, and she drew strength from their encouragement. I don't like it, Chase insisted. I'm sorry, Chase. I have to do this. Be safe, he said. Then he grew very quiet. When the meal was finished, Mother Gwendolyn led her from the dining room. Katrin took one last look over her shoulder at her friends sitting at the table. They all smiled encouragingly at her. They would be only a short distance away, yet she would not see them for weeks. She would miss them, but it was comforting to know they would be nearby. Katrin and Mother Gwendolyn moved deeper into the outer sanctuary. They reached a hallway with plain wooden doors lining each side. One door was open and Mother Gwendolyn stepped inside. Katrin followed her into the sparsely furnished room. It contained a sleeping pallet, a wooden chest, and a lamp hung on the wall, but it was otherwise bare. I must leave you for now, Mother Gwendolyn said. I have some things I must attend to. Though the room offered little in the way of amenities, it was comfortable to Katrin. To her, it symbolized the beginning of a new journey and she was determined to get everything she could from this adventure. Uncertainties that had nagged her became gleaming possibilities. No longer concentrating on what might be embarrassing or uncomfortable, she chose instead to focus on the good that might come from the experience. Benjen had attributed his knowledge of meditation to the Cathurns, and Katrin hoped she, too, would leave with lessons that would last the rest of her life. Settling herself into serenity, she practiced some meditation techniques. It made her feel closer to her friends, despite the walls and distance separating them.
When morning came, Katrin had no recollection of falling asleep and woke feeling refreshed and ready to start her new journey. At least she thought she was ready. A gentle knock on the door made her jump. She got another shock when she opened the door. A robed and hooded figure stood in the hallway, hidden within the shadows of the cloak. A strange feeling came over her, and she suddenly wondered how trusting she could be within the outer sanctuary. Perhaps the anonymity of her escort was a test of some sort, to see if she were ready for the ritual. The hooded figure did not move or speak, but Katrin sensed impatience, and she mumbled a muted apology as she stepped into the hall. The figure made no response and glided deeper into the outer sanctuary. Katrin followed in silence, taking in the strange and wondrous sights. Indoor fountains and rock gardens drew her eyes, and they passed through massive arches that were elaborately carved with scenes of forests and animals. Paintings hung on some walls, and mosaics decorated the floors. None of the artwork she'd seen within the sanctuary depicted people. All seemed to focus on the glory of nature. Katrin followed and marveled at the gracefulness of her guide. The fluidity of movement and the way the robes flowed along the floor gave the impression that her guide was floating rather than walking. The illusion was temporarily broken when they had reached a spiral staircase that descended into the heart of the mountain. The gliding movements shifted to rhythmic, and Katrin watched the body of her guide bob up and down in front of her as they descended. The graceful and measured movements now gave the impression that her guide was made of soft springs, but she forced herself to concentrate on not falling. They climbed down for what seemed a long time, passing many landings and archways, but no other people. The bottom of the stairwell was lost in darkness, and the dim light provided by occasional lamps stopped several turns below where they currently stood. When they reached that last illuminated floor, her guide turned and floated through one of the four archways that opened onto the landing, taking one of the lamps from its sconce. Katrin tried very hard to shake the illusions surrounding her guide, and she concentrated on sensing the being beneath the robe. She explored the energy and tried to envision the shape based upon the aura she sensed. Only a fuzzy impression was revealed to her. Concentrating harder, she nearly stumbled when she sensed the male aspect of his energy. The sudden rush of it was bizarre, yet wonderful. Her heart leaped into her throat, though, when he stopped gliding and turned to face her. Mortified that he had somehow sensed her intrusion, she froze, and despite his face being hidden in darkness, the reprimand was palpable. When he began walking again, the illusions surrounding him seemed to have shattered. His grace was still obvious, but he no longer appeared to float. Vindicated by the victory over her senses, she took note of her surroundings again. The hallway ended a short distance ahead. The walls of the corridor were unadorned, and the floor was smooth but unpolished. Cold emanated from the stone. It seeped into Catherine's bones, and she shivered as she walked. As they approached the end of the hall, 
they came upon an opening in the left wall, and her guide walked into it. In this hall, the walls were carved with intricate patterns, and the floor was covered with many colored tiles. Unlike the mosaics she had seen, these tiles formed only varying patterns that seemed to follow no logic or reason. Her guide turned left where several corridors intersected. Then he made an immediate right, his movements confident and sure. After a number of junctions and turns, Katrin could no longer recall the way back, and she guessed they were within a massive labyrinth. The longer they walked, the more she came to think her guide was utterly lost. Watching the patterns on the floors, she was nearly certain they had passed the same spot several times, only to take a different passageway each time. She considered leaving some sort of marking on the floor or walls, but she didn't want to offend her guide again. Her faith was tested again when they turned a corner and emerged into a small room. The center of the room was dominated by a massive stone table, and on either side of the slab stood a robed and hooded figure. The slab's resemblance to a sacrificial altar was disconcerting, and the effect was amplified by the gleaming knives held before the monks. Hesitating in the doorway, Katrin tried to convince herself it was safe. Instincts urged her to flee, but she knew she would only get lost within the maze. If these people wanted to harm her, this was a perfect opportunity. Yet no one rushed her or pressured her to move ahead. With renewed determination, Katrin stepped into the room and felt as if she had finally taken the first step on her journey. The man who guided her turned and walked gracefully from the room without a sound. Those who remained issued a wordless command for her to lie on the stone slab, and she did so with trepidation, wondering what she had gotten herself into. Lying on her back, she saw a large spiral painted in purple on the ceiling. As she stared, it began to spin and looked as if it would suck her in. Still on her guard, she closed her eyes before it put her in a trance. Concentrating on the robed figures, she attempted to sense their gender. The hands holding the knives had looked decidedly female, but she ran her senses over them for confirmation. Now, knowing what to look for, she quickly confirmed her suspicion. Both were female. The confirmation brought her some comfort. She felt more at ease with her fate in the hands of women. Still, it startled her when the women moved to her sides and the tips of their blades descended toward her. It took every bit of restraint she possessed to remain on the table. As the blades hovered a mere finger's width above her eyes, she hoped and prayed that she had not been duped. Rolling into a defensive posture, Chase squared off, planting his feet and flexing his knees. Quicker than he'd expected, Benjen charged in again and lunged, overextending himself. Seeing the opportunity to finally score a hit, Chase raised his sword for a mighty blow. Anticipating his move, Benjen spun in the air, landing his practice sword squarely on Chase's knuckles. Too slow, 
Benjamin said as Chase writhed on the grass, holding his knuckles and cursing. You had plenty of time to strike me, but you had to draw yourself up like a hero in a fireside tale. Trust me, real battles are nothing like that. If I leave an opening, take it, but don't leave yourself exposed in doing so. Understand? In answer, Chase swung himself and kicked Benjen in the back of the knees. Benjen collapsed to the ground and Chase approached with caution, ready for a surprise attack. Benjen groaned and held his knee. I suppose I deserved that, but try to take it easy on an old man's knees, will ya? Chase nodded, ashamed of himself for taking advantage of Benjen that way, and he offered his hand. Benjen clasped it and pulled Chase forward, planting his feet on Chase's chest and thrusting. Chase hurtled through the air and did a complete flip before landing in a not-so-forgiving bush. Two girls, not much older than Chase, watched from nearby, and they giggled as he climbed from the bush. Perhaps you should try walking, one of them said with a smirk. You fly like a stone. His face flushed. Chase returned to where Benjen waited. Don't let down your defenses, Benjen said. Captain Longarm approached. Takes time to learn such things, but you'll get it eventually. Those practice swords working well for you? That they are, Benjen said. It'd be better if we didn't need them, but these are dangerous times. Thanks again for your generosity. We do what we can, Captain Longarm said. I fear you're right. I've got a bad feeling in my gut. His statement left tension in the air, and he coached Chase as Benjen squared off. Together, they trained into the night. Too much you look at bone and muscle, Vertuk said as Brunson stood from his examination of the weanling. Look at eyes. Look at heart. Look at soul. There you see true measure of horse. Trying not to offend Vertuk, Brunson did as he said and was surprised by what he saw. Staring into the eyes of one weanling, he saw fear. In another, rebellion and pride. Off in a corner, though, was a weak-looking filly with short legs. Until then, Brunson had ignored the filly figuring she was unsuitable for someone his size. But when he looked in her eyes, he saw love and loyalty and a yearning for someone to return those feelings. As he approached her, she trembled not with fear, but with what seemed like anticipation. Running his hands gently over her coat, she leaned into him. Now you see. Yes? Vertuk asked. I think I do. Brunson said, surprised by his own heart's reaction to the filly. When Vertuk had come to him, boasting of the Argast way, Brunson had been skeptical, believing that his ways were the only ways to properly raise animals. Now he began to wonder if he'd been blind, for much of what Vertuk said seemed to be true. 
Swallowing his pride, Brunson vowed to learn what he could from this stranger, and he felt a new journey was about to begin. He watched with anticipation as Vertuk approached each weanling, looking at their eyes only. He settled on the colt that had seemed prideful and rebellious. Brunson failed to hide his surprise. Like me, this one is. Stubborn, but strong, willful, and defiant. Farhalian is his name. What is Philly's name? I hadn't thought of a name yet. I suppose I'll have to think of something suitable. Think? No. She tell you her name. Look in eyes and ask. Then you know. Not certain Vertuk was serious. Brunson knelt down before the filly, wondering if he were being made to look a fool. When he met her eyes and asked her name, though, he was shocked to have something immediately pop into his mind, and he knew it was right. It was not simply a name for the filly. It was her name. Shashinya. Vertuk nodded and smiled when Brunson spoke the name. His voice an awe-filled whisper. He repeated it over and over, feeling the rightness. Shashinya. That concludes this episode of Inherited Danger. Thank you for listening. For the latest news and new releases, be sure to check out patioracket.com.